Hey guys, welcome back to Dog Diaries. This is JC. And I'm Logan. And on today's episode, we're going to tell you about that one time we went to the Haunted Stanley Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And how long ago was that now? Um, um, like I think it was three, three years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Okay. It was like right when Brad and I first got together. I know that. Well, we so. went all four of us, and then a couple months later, you and I went just on our own because I was about to move away, and we just wanted, like, a last weekend trip to kind of commemorate. Yes. yes. And, man, do we have some stories. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also going to be uh, diving into some of the history from the Stanley Hotel mm-hmm. along with some of the spooky stories, which is kind of fitting because it was just Friday the 13th. So. Yes. <laughs> And I missed you on Friday the 13th because me too. whenever we're together, if it's Friday the 13th, we always kind of go out with a bang. We try to do something fun. I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I was a kid, I got into like a car accident on Friday the 13th. It wasn't bad or anything. It was just like a fender bender. But I, I think you did tell me about that. Yeah, I just for a long time was like scared to do anything on Friday the 13th just because I had that weird experience so Mm -hmm. when we got older and we started like making it a fun time I don't know it just really changed my mindset on Friday the 13th so yeah I I definitely cherish all of our kind of just off the wall crazy adventures we would do right (laughs) for the longest time we always debated on getting one of those you know small Friday the 13th mm -hmm. tattoos (laughs) I think if we're together on a Friday the 13th and the opportunity arises I will probably do it but I don't know that I'd go out of my way to do it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, I feel you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but yes, I do have all the history here so we can talk about it. But we also want to kind of intersect our personal experiences and our personal stories. So I'll get started with just kind of how the Stanley Hotel was created, if you want. And then we can kind of go from there if that works. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So all of this information was gathered by wikipedia.com and thestanleyhotel.com. I don't know who's going to listen to these things, but I don't want to get copyrighted. So Right, yeah. <laughs> Better safe than sorry. So the Stanley Hotel, if you guys are not familiar with it, it actually is in Estes Park, Colorado. It overlooks the beautiful Rocky Mountains, and it is one of the most glorious sights I've ever seen in my life (laughs) it's beautiful it really really is Um, but it was created by Freeland Oscar Stanley and I have a lot of history about his life in general because he he's kind of one of those guys like I talked about on the last episode where it's not like he was born into any crazy extraordinary elite life like he he came from nothing really and was able to build himself up into a very, very successful businessman. So mm-hmm. I just think his story is really cool. He was born on June 1st in 1849 in Kingfield, Maine. And he had an identical twin brother named Francis. So Freeland and Francis. <laughs> Jeez. Freeland's middle name is Oscar. So a lot of times he would go by F.O. And Francis's middle name is Edgar. So he would go by F.E. But I forgot about that during these notes until the end. So all of my notes have their actual names. So we're going to just call them by their government names, which is Freeland and Francis. Okay. Okay. 
Does that right. work? <laughs> yeah. So they were, were pretty inspired young men. They, I think they knew deep down they were going to do some big things in the world. Their first big venture was when they were nine years old, they started their first business. And what they did was they refined and sold maple sugar. I don't know the process for that, but I guess it was a commodity because they ended up using their earnings to purchase woolen cloth for new school suits and a copy of Benjamin Greenleaf's National Arithmetic. And they finished every equation in the book cover to cover. Could you imagine being nine years old and like getting some coming into some money and you want to purchase an arithmetic book and some no, cloth so you can what? have new clothes. Like, okay, just well, think clothes, about that. The clothes I kind of understand, but math? What? I know, I know. And then at 11, their great uncle taught them the art of violin making. And by 16, Freeland had completed three instruments and continued to make them throughout his life. He even created many concert quality pieces that are still marveled on to this day. At 19, the brothers set off for college in their home state of Maine with the goal of becoming educators. At the time, it was called the Western State Normal School, but it is now known as the University of Maine Farmington. I find the school name kind of interesting because they're in Maine, right? Right. Which is like way up east. Mm -hmm. So it's called the Western State Normal School. And who constitutes what's normal? (laughs) Right. What kind maybe of there's maybe there's something there I'm I'm missing. But anyways, this education journey did not last long for Francis. He realized it just wasn't the path for him and he left to pursue a career as a portrait artist. Freeland, however, continued his education and after his time at this university, he went on to attend Bowdoin College in Brunswick which is also in Maine. I may have said both of those words wrong. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But after his education was complete, he accepted a position as the headmaster of a high school in Mechanic Falls, Maine. While he was there, he met Flora Jane Record Tileston. I can relate to this woman. I've got a long name, but that's a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, But she was a teacher at the high school, and she was also a pianist. And in 1876, when Freeland was 27 and Flora was 29, they got married. Five years later, at the age of 32, Freeland came down with tuberculosis. This was especially worrisome because one of Freeland's younger brothers passed away from tuberculosis that same year. Freeland decided at that point to commit to a more sedentary life and decided to pursue a career in manufacturing, opening the Stanley Practical Drawing Set Factory shortly after. So I'm surprised that he, like, stepped down from being an educator and then went to, like, owning a business. I just feel like that would be more stressful. But he thought that it would be better on his health. Um, Unfortunately, though, only a year later, the factory went up in flames and his business was ruined along with the money that he invested into it. At this time, Francis, his twin brother who had left school to pursue becoming an artist, had gotten married to a woman named Augusta and had found himself very interested and passionate in photography. He started to experiment with different ways to develop photos, and once he found out about Freeland's factory burning down, he suggested that they work together, just like they always had as kids, and so they could create something that would change the world. They ended up establishing the Stanley Dry Plate Company in Lewiston, Maine. 
affected the process that previous inventors Richard Leach Maddox and Charles Bennett worked on for dry plate developing processes and implemented them into their business, which they marketed across the country and quickly became very successful. They moved their business Watertown, Massachusetts, and got immersed into the well-to-do community there. Neighboring business around their dry plate factory was a bicycle factory owned by Sterling Elliott. Francis became very interested in the new craze. So back then, bicycles were the new craze. Like, <laughs> I'm imagining these people were riding bicycles, and it's kind of how we looked at those kids on hoverboards for the first time. Oh, You yes. know what I mean? You're so right. So this was like the new craze. And so he asked his wife to join him in his newfound hobby. But unfortunately, she fell off the bike. <laughs> this oh, no. sounds like me and Zach, dude. It does. <laughs> And after she fell, she vowed to never ride one of those things again. Um, But Francis couldn't let this happen. And so he told her, and I quote, remember her name is Augusta. So she goes by Gusty. That's her nickname. This is the quote that I found. He said, never you mind, Gusty. I will build something so that we can ride together in safety and comfort. (laughs) And who is this talking? This is Freeland's identical twin okay and he's talking to his wife his wife okay gusty yes <laughs> listen here gusty <laughs> listen here gusty i'm gonna build something so we can ride together in safety and comfort <laughs> <laughs> and he did he got on it he started building what we now know to be an automobile he contemplated using combustion which is fire electricity or steam to power this vehicle. And after discussing it with his brother Freeland, they decided on using the steam power. They completed their project utilizing wagon and bicycle parts. And along with the steam, they were off. They took this invention to the Boston Auto Show held in Charles River Park. And the crowd was so impressed and intrigued that they started selling steam cars by order as the Stanley Motor Carriage Company. They switched gears and both committed to this new passion. So now they're like, photography who? Right. (laughs) Like, we got a car. (laughs) (laughs) And then in 1899, John Brisbane Walker, an early investor in the Colorado Springs area, expressed interest in buying the company from the brothers. They ended up selling (laughs) it to John and his partner, Amzie L. Barber, for $250,000. Do you know how much that is in today's world? Uh... Probably a lot. Eighteen ninety-nine. $250,000. That's a lot in, in today's world. It and is, it, yes. It translates to $8 million in today's oh money. Oh, my god! So with that one, they were already doing good with the photography business. But with this one deal, they were, like, set for life. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Millionaires. <laughs> right. Although these new owners took over, Freeland and Francis were very involved in the company still, and Freeland even gave President William McKinley a tour of Washington, D.C. in a Stanley automobile, making it the first time the current U.S. president had ever ridden in a car. (laughs) How cool is that? That is so cool. (laughs) So, unfortunately, I feel like every business that we discuss has these hurdles (laughs) yes but within a year the investors that had bought the company for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars had many disagreements between themselves not the brothers but between john brisman walker and his partner omzi they had so many disagreements they decided to go their separate ways and start their own separate 
automobile industry. So it kind of sucked for Freeland and Francis because they're like, we just gave these guys all of our knowledge. And now they're yeah. both like turning around and making their own companies. Right. But anyways, they were stuck at that point because their company had disintegrated. And they couldn't even step back in as owners because their ideas and inventions were patented by the other guys already since they sold what? it to them. Oh, my So they gosh. were kind of stuck. But instead of just giving up, they decided to start from scratch. They revamped all of their ideas, making them even better, and filed for new patents and created a new company called the Stanley Motor Carriage. <laughs> awesome. So basically, they just took off the last word to make it legal for them yes. to own it. Uh, they good were so thinking. successful. I know. Good thinking on their end. They were so successful at that point that their rival in the dry plate photography business, George Eastman, even bought one of their cars and publicly complimented the brothers on their invention. They decided that their time was devoted heavily to the automobile industry now and decided to sell their dry plate company to Eastman, leaving them the room to 100% completely focus their time and energy to automobiles. In 1903, unfortunately, at 54, Freeland had a resurgence of his tuberculosis. So remember, he had that earlier in his late 20s, early 30s. And I guess the lifestyle that he chose outside of education did help him because he didn't have any issues with it in the meantime. But once he turned 54, it came back. And it came back with a vengeance. Like, it was, it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a cure for it at all. But the doctor did suggest fighting somewhere with fresh, dry air, getting lots of sunlight, and eating a hearty diet. So it's almost like we've been hearing that for so long that that's all our body needs and we just (laughs) don't do it. I know. It's like legitimately a lot of things could be cured with like sunlight, (laughs) enough water, exercise, and and a good diet, proper breathing. Yeah. And and a good diet. (laughs) Um, It is said that he was actually kind of inspired by that investor who lived in the Colorado Springs area. I don't know that for sure, but a lot of the things I read said that he was inspired by him and decided to go to Colorado for a summer and just see if it helped. And actually, after they were in Estes Park for one whole summer, his health improved so dramatically that he and his wife, Flora, committed to spending every summer out there just to see if it could help prolong his life. Because at the time that he got it, he did not think he was going to make it much longer. Yeah, I remember during my research reading that when he was starting this new endeavor, he was very frail. Yeah, yeah. But after a few years there, they built a cottage so that they could have a summer home of sorts. Mm -hmm. I think that they even stayed there longer than just the summer because they ended up falling in love with the mountains. And I mean, who can blame them? Exactly. (laughs) It's a beautiful place. Uh, But once they did go back to their East Coast home, they realized that it really could not compare to the beauty of the mountains and just the air, the atmosphere, the environment, everything. So they decided that they wanted to turn their beloved Estes Park into a resort town so that their friends and family could come relax and spend time with them. Man, I remember learning about this on our tour guide at the Uh hotel. And I just remember thinking, like, who has that many friends where they're just going to make this big ass <laughs> building? No, I agree. And once I, I'll get into it in a little bit about, you know, how Stuff big this building is. Yeah. No, uh-huh. but you're right. Could you imagine? I'm like, 
I got to make sure I have a guest room. Like, these people needed, like, 40-plus rooms and bathrooms and Well, and if I remember correctly, and... wasn't his wife pretty bougie and she was kind of high maintenance, at least yeah. from what the tour guide From told what us. the tour guide said and from what I read, she had really... I don't know where she came from. She may have came from a, a a lifestyle like that, but I will say she definitely grew into the lifestyle her and Freeland built mm-hmm. between their businesses and everything because you're exactly right. She needed it to be pristine and to compete <laughs> with the types of resorts and things they had out east. Right. So that was in 1907. Uh, they started building a hotel And Freeland actually constructed the Fall River Hydro plant, which brought electricity to Estes Park for the first time and made this one of the first hotels in the country to be fully electrified. Also, I did not know electrified was a word, and I think it's kind of fun to say. You didn't (laughs) know that that was a word? You know, you saying that, and that, just the way that you said it, reminds me of Greece at the very end where they're singing. I do. Okay, I guess I didn't know that was working. <laughs> I'm not singing it for you, but you know, you know the line. Yes, yes. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Uh, Freeland actually suggested to name the hotel. Get this, get this. So it's named the Stanley Hotel after, you know, Freeland Stanley. Right. But he suggested to name the hotel the Dunraven. I think I know why. Go ahead and tell me, because I don't want to be wrong like I was last time. Oh, I don't know why. Okay, so when I was doing my research, I got some different information on this guy. Um, his name is Lord... Let me look here in my notes. <laughs> uh, Lord Dunraven. He was a landowner about 20 years before the hotel was bought, or not bought, built. Uh-huh. Um, so he was like, um, uh, in one of the videos I was watching about, uh, the Stanley hotel, he was kind of a big deal, but he was also like a very shady guy. Um, like he wanted to do something along the lines of reserve that land for hunting. So I don't know exactly how they, um, negotiated or whatever, but I just, remember hearing that he was this kind of shady businessman guy so oh that's yeah, probably I why i didn't know that part that but probably why i guess okay again just how many people did this guy know i don't know but 180 people signed a buckskin petition requesting name it after himself instead and thus the stanley hotel was born but can you imagine that like 180 people were like no we want this hotel named after you. <laughs> yeah, he must have just been. He was. Yeah, he's Mr. He was Popular. Special. Yeah. <laughs> the Stanley Hotel officially opened in 1909, and it resembled the architecture Freeland was probably accustomed to in the New England area. The outside was a yellow color and had white accents, but it is now very notably all white with a red roof. Yes. You know, like a deep red. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm surprised to hear that it was yellow. And I, re- I remember the tour guide telling us that too, but I just can't picture that. But I guess that was yeah, the style when she back said then. That, when she said that, we were all like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, it had 48 rooms. Every room had a telephone, which was pretty impressive at that time. And each pair of rooms shared a bathroom that had running water, which was also pretty impressive at that time. Oh, yeah. In addition to the hotel rooms, the property had 11 contributing structures. Freeland wanted to ensure that there was entertainment for everyone. Here are some of the main popular additions to the property. There was a music room, which was designed to be more feminine, I guess, (laughs) with cream-colored walls, and it was used for writing letters during the day and chamber music at night. Writing letters. Writing letters. (laughs) Uh, there was a smoking lounge, and this was supposed to be more masculine, so. Oh, yeah. There was dark stained wood and granite and a fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> and this was where the men would smoke cigars and play billiards. Do you remember walking in there? Yes. And they have these, this, like, bench that's against the wall, and it's very, very uncomfortable, there yes. is something that if you try to, like, just lean back into the bench, you'll hit your head on something. Or and the, they, your spine. Yeah, oh. you'll hit your spine or, like, your head on these little ridges they have poking out of the wall. And they said it was for when the women would come watch the men play billiards and smoke their cigars that they would be reminded to have good posture and sit up straight. Yep. Yeah. Anyways. I- i'm not with it freeland (laughs) but due to his tuberculosis he actually did not smoke or drink himself but he wanted to provide that space for his guests there was also a concert hall which is said to have been built as a gift for his wife flora remember she was a pianist Mm -hmm. the interior matched the music room and the stage even had a trap door which could be used for theatrical entrances and exits the concert hall also housed a Steinway grand piano, and Flora often played this piano. The lower level of the concert hall housed a two-lane bowling alley as well. I don't remember seeing a bowling alley. Oh, it's not there anymore. Oh, okay. That but, explains it. Yeah, but at the time, it was. <laughs> and then they had the lodge, which is actually still around. But it was basically just a smaller version of the hotel, but it was fully heated. And it is believed that Freeland was hoping to have visitors in the off-season, and he wanted them to be comfortable in the cold. But they never attracted many off-season guests, so a lot of times it stayed empty most of the year. Mm-hmm. With completely revolutionizing the town of Estes Park, Freeland also played a big part in creating the Rocky Mountain National Park, which is only a few miles away from the hotel, which you and I had a lot of fun at (laughs) yes right after we visited the hotel we went down to the rocky mountains and it was just that day was so incredible i just had so much fun that day i was looking through the pictures earlier just to kind of jog my memory on everything we did and Mm -hmm. it's just incredible i love that area it's hard to believe that we did all of that in one day (laughs) i know you know i agree we'll never be 21 and have the luxury of just kind of you know what I mean like yes you'll never be 21 in a city you don't know with mountains all around at a haunted hotel again like right yeah <laughs> kind of a once in a lifetime thing mm-hmm. <laughs> but in 1926 Freeland sold the company to the Stanley Corporation this part really confuses me but basically okay. the Stanley Corporation is a private company that was established to manage Freeland's assets in Estes Park but the company soon filed for bankruptcy. 
that's where I get confused. If they were managing his assets, how did they go bankrupt? Yeah. I don't really know. But to avoid losing the hotel altogether, Freeland purchased it back at a very low price. Because at that point, it's, you know, an auction or whatever. And then he sold it in 1930 to a fellow auto and hotel enthusiast named Roe Emery. Even though Freeland did not own the hotel any longer, he did continue to spend every summer in Estes Park in the cottage that him and Flora originally built before they built the hotel. Freeland devoted the rest of his life into continuing his endeavors with the automobile industry and philanthropy in his hometown. At this time, Flora's eyesight was deteriorating, and Freeland was trying to decide on a place to retire, but unfortunately in 1939, Flora suffered a stroke and passed away. In 1940, the following year, Freeland died of heart failure. Unfortunately, Francis, Freeland's twin brother, actually passed away in 1918 after he drove his car into a wood pile while attempting to avoid two farm wagons traveling side by side on the road. So I, I didn't talk about his brother's death earlier in there, but it did. I think it did have a huge impact on him because it obviously was his identical twin brother and mm-hmm. he passed away in obviously the cars that they built you know yeah so i'm sure that was hard yeah although both freeland and francis passed away before they could see what their creations would progress to it is easy to say that they were aware that they changed the world with their brilliant minds and creativity the stanley hotel is still open to this day but it was almost at the end of its road back in the 1970s. It only made its comeback after notable author Stephen King stayed at the hotel one night while he was suffering from writer's block, and he had an interesting experience. Because of this, the hotel has resurged in popularity, bringing in many visitors each year, and has turned the hotel from being known as a, you know, elite East Coast, much-to-do resort into a more spooky notoriety (laughs) yes and with that being said jc we'll take it from here (laughs) yes so like logan said um the stanley hotel was kind of heading toward the end of its road um i didn't know this but like you had said you know during the cold months they would actually have to end up just shutting their doors Um, Because they didn't bring in any traffic, really, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. You know, you're in Colorado in the winter in the mountains. There's probably not a lot of people going up there, you know. But, um, yeah, so they weren't really able to keep up financially um, until Stephen King and his wife were on a vacation while they were residing in Boulder, Colorado. And they were actually the only ones there that night. It was on September 30th, 1974. And they were the only two guests in the hotel. Wow. Um, which, which I that thought just kind of really... shows like where they were. As, yes. You know. And that just kind of, I don't know, when you pull up to the hotel, you can just tell. <laughs> you can just. Oh, well. no, don't talk about us pulling up to the hotel, JC. Right. Um, should we? talk about that (laughs) well i'll say this okay while i was looking at this i saw on the stanley hotel website it says you know it has a whole little tab about parking and it says we did not read before we we didn't read this before i didn't even know this was here until i was researching and i was like oh so just keep in mind if you're going to go to the stanley hotel 
if you're going just for a tour or just to look at the place or walk around, what have you, there is a fee of $10 that is payable to the guard gate attendee upon arrival. <laughs> Again, you must pay the $10 to the guard gate attendee <laughs> upon arrival. So do not keep driving past the guard gate attendee upon arrival because he will chase after you and he will be really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Ask us how we know. Take a wild guess. Yeah. How, how do we know that, JC? <laughs> well, we were just two dumb 21-year-old girls <laughs> pulling up to this big place. There's just I I didn't know what to expect pulling up regardless, but um before you get to the hotel, there's like this whole community around it. it. You know, it's this huge tourist attraction. And so there's people in cars everywhere. And we pull up, we see this long line, assuming that it's for the hotel. And we get in line, we see people stopping. And I don't know if we were just lost in conversation or what, but I oh, did I was not. in the middle of an evolution sickness. Oh, yeah. Moment yeah. happening. You thought you were having a panic attack and it was just your <laughs> elevation levels. Well, were... Estes Park is so high up compared to where we were. So we're yeah. like going up and up and up. And I just, I wasn't drinking enough water. Again, water, sunlight, <laughs> proper breathing techniques, better diet would have, would have <laughs> solved all of that. Anyways, so I was dealing with that. And I remember us being like, are we supposed to pay here? Or like, where's the guy? We couldn't even yeah. know where he was. And so we just. So we pull up and we stop and there's a guy here at the, it's like this little shed and he's just leaning up on the shed like, hi, how you doing? And we're like, good. Is this for the Stanley Hotel? And he's like, yeah. And he's just still leaning up against the shed and he makes no effort to come up to the car. So we're just like. okay cool and I just continued driving because (laughs) we thought he was just a greeter we didn't know it doesn't say anything or at least I didn't notice anything saying that this is where you pay so this is the part this is the part where it gets pretty bad (laughs) JC goes do you hear a whistle and I'm like oh my gosh I do hear somebody whistling and we're like looking around and I'm like, oh, are we having an encounter? Are we, are we having an encounter at the Stanley Hotel? Why are we hearing this whistling? Nobody's like, whistling. We're not even in the building yet, and we're already <laughs> having an experience. I uh, know it was the guard gate um, telling us to get our our butts back over there, and yep. we didn't. And he, I've never seen somebody run that fast. He left his. Uh, station to oh there was us. so many cars that probably got in free because he was so mad that we kept going he just ran after us he said you know what screw it yeah <laughs> I'm getting the ten dollars and he was so mad and he was even so upset and we felt so bad we did and I thought it was you know looking back I think it would be pretty obvious to tell that we really weren't trying to be like scammers or you know trying to cheat the system we were legitimately so confused and I don't think he did a very good job of doing his part so that's all I'm gonna say if that was my job and it was if my job was to collect the ten dollars I wouldn't be leaning up against a shed you know (laughs) 
Yeah. I would approach the vehicle and but, tell them, hey, I need $10 before yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the, the day rate is $10. Yeah, you would think. But he was just so upset and, like, we're saying we're sorry. He didn't even say anything. He just, like, practically rolled his eyes and just jogged back over to his little station. I thought for sure I was like, my car is going to be be keyed once we get yeah. out of here. I yeah. was like, he's coming back. <laughs> so I remember just sitting in the car for a solid five minutes before we even go in just so we can like collect ourselves and like calm down because we were so frazzled yeah it was just a weird experience and then we just felt dumb yeah and again it was just the two of us so oh god that was funny well Stephen King he had a weird experience (laughs) but very different from that (laughs) So, um, like I said, it was just him and his wife in the hotel. And this hotel, you you can just, just by being in it, you can just tell there's so much history. Mm-hmm. Because they've, I feel like they've made a conscience, conscious effort to keep the inside as uh, original as possible. And so, you know, you kind of get this eerie feeling I can only imagine being there on a cold night. It's just you and your partner. Um, They were having dinner in the dining hall. And he said there was recordings of orchestra music playing in the back. So I'm kind of setting the scene here. It's kind of eerie. And it was said by the time that he got back to his room, he had been drinking. um, And he just was kind of feeling nervous about the hotel in general. Um, and so when he goes to sleep that night, he had a nightmare of the fire hose that was right outside their door of to the room 217, the infamous room 217. And he had a dream of his three-year-old son running down the empty hallway of the Stanley Hotel, looking back, terrified over his shoulder by this fire hose chasing after him to where it ends up constricting him and trying to strangle and kill him (laughs) and so yeah yeah so he wakes up from this nightmare terrified sweating trying to collect himself he goes out into the balcony and smokes a cigarette and it was said by the end of that cigarette he had already outlined the book for the shining which, That's so cool, though. Like, I think we all know what The Shining is. I will have to say I have never read the book. I've never seen the movie because I'm a weenie when it comes yeah, to that kind here. of stuff. Same here. But I think we all, even I, know that movie and, you know, the story behind it. And it he's just such a profound author. It's, that's just crazy to me that that's all it took to inspire that crazy successful horror yeah novel. and i think it, it resurged the hotel but it also like resurged his career too in a way because oh, yeah. he was like suffering from writer's block and just did not know what direction he wanted to go mm-hmm. so yeah i think it just worked out for the best but i do want to ask you like we've both been there where we're already feeling kind of it, it, this is a good example like like i was unsure if me feeling sick because I had elevation sickness was like because because of like just natural biological things or if I was just really 
panicky about being at the hotel and and all the experiences that we would have there. So I'm yeah. wondering if do you think he really had an encounter there or do you think he was just kind of hyper aware of how odd it was that night because it was just the two of them and there was weird music playing and it was probably just a very like dimly lit hotel and just kind of creepy. Yeah, so I think it's a good discussion to have because I remember going and I remember us both being kind of in that headspace beforehand, mm-hmm. but we went during the day. So, I mean, I wasn't really expecting to see anything. And I think um, with the hotel being known for that, I feel like there's a lot of hype behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not discrediting anyone and their experiences that they've had because there's been tons and tons of reports and stories of paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a believer, so it's not like I'm some kind of skeptic. But I do think that if you go expecting to see something, most of the time it you kind of just You're get gonna, let down. Maybe, or you might manufacture something that you're like, oh, what was that? you know but for Stephen King he went when he didn't even know that I just wonder if it was just an odd atmosphere he had been drinking that sort of thing and it like kind of again I agree with you I I do believe many people had crazy encounters there but I just wonder if that night was more like pure luck that he was just in a weird environment rather than something it's funny that you say that because he I wrote a quote from him and it said he said the music was echoing down the hall. And I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things. Oh, So wow. I think it kind of was a mixture of both. But another thing that I did not know that I think kind of plays into this energy, because I think we can both agree that there is an energy when you go there. Yeah. Whether it's paranormal or what have you there is definitely historical with lots of memories and things like that yeah yes but I think the reason for that is because the Stanley Hotel was built upon an abundance of quartz and limestone and Mm -hmm. the employees or the tour guides believe that that could be the the source of the energy Um, they say that helps keep the energy cleansed and that probably could attract a lot of spirits. Hmm. So there was not a lot of, cause you know, when you think of a haunted place, you typically think of like a place that a lot of dark things happened mm-hmm. and there really wasn't too many deaths that I could find. I don't know about you, but um, they believe it's because of the location of it and the fact that it's, on the quartz and the limestone that that is attracting the spirits. I do um, remember that the tour we took, they took us underneath where there was like a little breezeway where the mm-hmm. workers used to use when they were, you know, back in the day when it was like Freeland's time. <laughs> right. It was yeah. like this really weird, dingy little crawl space type of thing just to get mm-hmm. them from one area of the hotel to the other. And that had like actual limestone I guess because like they didn't they didn't break down the basement or anything they left some of the walls up they just made it they just 
made a breezeway out of it and I remember touching it and then being like yeah we think this is <laughs> yeah. like what makes the hotel energy what it is and I I believe in that that whole tunnel system was super spooky we're gonna get into that yeah further. I wanted to get the heck out of there <laughs> yeah it was very claustrophobic too so it was just yeah. very uncomfortable oh another thing to make note of um I kind of skimmed over it I meant to make it more clear that the room that Stephen King stayed in is famous now because of him so room 217 is a hot commodity now people can request to stay there for about $500 a night Um, yeah Um, that was considered a presidential suite at the time I don't know if it still is it probably is they call it Stephen's room now so they uh, really took advantage of that. <laughs> um, another cool thing that I think I vaguely remember someone saying this. I don't know if they said it on the tour guide or what, but Jim Carrey also stayed in room t- 217 yeah. during the filming of Dumb and Dumber. Yes, However, they, they did tell us about that. It was very short lived because he checked out three hours later and yeah. no one really knows why. I couldn't find why. It was just like he got I've the heck out of there. I've heard he's never talked about it, like, at least publicly. He's never said why. They said that he just, like, ran out of that room all disheveled and was like, I need to stay in a different hotel. Yeah. And to be honest, like, if the stories are true, like, I don't blame him. Like, I, yeah. I know people go there for that kind of stuff, but I just, I'm not about putting myself in that situation. Um Stephen King said when he first checked into his room, he saw a little boy in his room, 217. So that freaks yeah. me out. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm, I'm the same with you. I'm like, it was fun to tour, but I don't know that I'd want to like open myself up for an individual experience like that. Yeah. Right. Um, another thing to make note of for t- room 217 um many many years before Stephen King stayed there and it became famous um something tragic happened in that room and I'm I'm not laughing because it's it's very tragic um June 25th 1911 the power went out in the Stanley Hotel for the first time due to a flood um, and Mr. Stanley started up a backup system for lighting, which was putting gas lanterns in each room. There was a gas Ooh. leak in oh. room 217. And that night, the head chamber maiden, Elizabeth Wilson, entered room 217 with a lit candle to turn on the lights. And she set off oh, no. explosion. Do you remember hearing about this in the tour? I, I, yeah, you're jogging my memory. Yes. Yes. This explosion was so big, they lost 10% of the building. Wow. Parts of the building were found half a mile away. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Surprisingly, Miss Wilson survived survived this. Wow. She she was blasted. She was blasted down from room 217 through the first floor. Or no, yeah, through the second floor, down to the first floor in the dining hall. Oh, my God. She survived Incoming. This. Right. And she broke quite a few bones, and oh. she was in a coma for two days. After she woke up, she came back to work at the hotel wow. 18 months later. 
don't know if I would be going back. I honestly. probably wouldn't, but you know, maybe it was one of those places where it's like your family kind of, you know? Yeah. Like, maybe. I'm glad she survived. I do remember hearing about that. Wow. So that's just not, I mean, that's tragic. That's not really spooky or paranormal. Like, that happened in real life. Yeah. (sighs) So it said she worked at the hotel from 1913 to 1950. And she was 90 years old when she stopped working there. So... Um, it's said to believe that Miss Wilson is actually still working at the hotel in room oh, 217. Yeah. She seems more helpful than creepy. It's commonly said people will wake up to a tidy room after leaving it a mess and their clothes will be unpacked and folded on the bed. Um, they've woken up to shoes being rearranged. Someone said they even woke up to the bed being made around them to where they couldn't even get up. Like, the blankets and everything were tucked in as if the bed was made. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, that's... I guess that's a handy... That's a handy ghost to have around. (laughs) Yeah. One of the employees said uh, they would describe her as creepy, but (laughs) (laughs) well-intentioned. But rumor has it that Miss Wilson is very traditional. She does not approve of unmarried couples sleeping in the same bed. So, it's said that unmarried couples would feel this cold presence in between them at night when they would go down to sleep and they would end up fighting more than usual so it's not really like anything creepy is happening but whenever there's that kind of energy i i do believe it can affect you and your personality yeah she's like if you like it you better put a ring on it and if you don't i'm gonna be right here in the middle of y'all exactly (laughs) yes it was also said that she didn't like men um i guess she thought they were messy or something and men would make reports of being poked in the ribs in the middle of the night (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's miss wilson for you but miss wilson isn't the only employee that still lives there um there's a guy named paul I couldn't find his last name, but he worked from at the hotel from 1995 to 2005. So that's fairly recent. Mm-hmm. Um, his main duty when he worked there was to keep the concert hall curfew. So there's been people reporting of hearing the words get out <laughs> when it's getting oh. late. And some people have felt nudging out of the doors. So from the concert hall, like out of the building (laughs) do you remember when we watched that youtube video and they were sneaking into the concert hall after hours and their Uh flashlights and stuff were tripping out yeah do you remember that yeah that was Uh weird yes um and of course one of the most notable spirits mr stanley himself um it said that he's usually found in the bar or the billiards room and his wife is often found playing the piano. So I find that very fitting. Um, And I also thought that, you know, a lot of people think, well, if they didn't die there, like, why are they still haunting it? And I don't know if I would use the word haunting, but Mm -hmm. I just think it was such a big part of their lives. And even these employees, it sounds like they just loved it there. So Yeah, it's like a special place. Yeah. So I thought that that was something to note. A lot of people, when they 
report about these hauntings. It's not like super crazy things happening. It seems like the spirits are more uh, friendly than what they were made out to be in Mm -hmm. The Shining. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also this, you can cut this part out, but did you know that Stephen King did not like the movie Shining? Shining? Yeah, I knew that. He, I think he refuses to watch it, actually. He referred to it as a Cadillac without an engine. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I heard he didn't like it, but I didn't know that. Yeah. And then he wow. actually went on and made his own miniseries, like, actually filmed at the real hotel. Really? Yeah. That's I've cool. never seen it, but that's what they said, supposedly. Maybe so. next time we're together, we can watch it together, but I don't want to watch it alone. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of the employees um, are reported their spirits are found there. And, um, of course, Mr. Stanley and Mrs. Stanley, they're there. Um, But that tunnel system that we were talking about um, is very creepy. You can Google images of that tunnel and it just looks like I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go down there regardless. You know what? If I knew all this stuff or not. I don't think that they allowed us to take photos in there. Really? Yeah. I don't think they did. I remember I, I wanted to take a video or something, and I think they said no. I think you're right. I remember that. I wonder why. It's said to believe that there's a pet cemetery down there, and there's a, can- there's, there's a cat that haunts the tunnel system. <laughs> wow. So, like, so, what does the cat do, trip you? <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting, though. Like, you don't hear very many uh, animal spirits. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I will talk about what else is downstairs of the Stanley Hotel that we got to experience. Oh, yes. That would be Madame Vera. So <laughs> whether you guys are believers in, in that sort of thing or not, it was just a fun experience. I'm glad we did it. But it's definitely... You kind of have to get out of your comfort zone when you're talking to Madame Vera, for sure, because she goes hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's a psychic. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't say that. But yeah, she's a psychic. She works out of the Stanley Hotel and has, I think she's been doing that for decades now. She's like one of Estes Park's like most notable psychics. Mm-hmm. And so we made an appointment with her. And I'll still say this. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I only told her our first names and she didn't even get them right. I think she got my first name, but she thought your name was Casey. Yeah. And she, so that she didn't have our last name. She had no way of like looking us up beforehand. And even if she did, I mean, it's not like there's a whole lot on us. Well, now right. there is cause we have a podcast, but before, right. <laughs> and she knew I, I'm, I'm skeptical in a way, like I take it with a grain of salt, but she knew a lot of stuff that, I'll I'll say I, I believed in her gifts that she had. I think you had a lot more of a notable experience with her than I did. Yeah. Like, for, I, like, and I'm not just saying that. She actually was able to go into detail with you. And I don't know if I, she just couldn't do that with me. So I don't really know. And maybe I was more like open to it. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. That could be it, too. Maybe I was more, like, open to the idea. Like I said, I try to take it with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. 
I know that there's a lot of of manipulative ways that people that claim to be of that occupation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know there's things they can do, but honestly, I believe Madame Vera. She's been doing it for decades, and and she did. She hit she hit the mark a few on a few things, and mm-hmm. and I enjoyed my time with her. But it definitely was out of my comfort zone, and it's not something I've done since. But when in Rome, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we did it. Yeah, me too. It was a fun experience. And then after that, we went to the Rocky Mountains, and that's still probably one of my favorite days of my life. I agree. It's beautiful, and the air really is so much better there. I agree. I after I figured out the elevation, <laughs> right? I agree. That. That mountain air is nice. <laughs> What's funny is like the whole time JC's like, hey, I think, you know, you're like politely, you're like, hey, I think you might be just a little bit overwhelmed because of the elevation difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but, but maybe I'm dying. And you're like, <laughs> no. And then like a little while passes and you're like, dude, I really think that it's just maybe your body's just a little overwhelmed by the elevation thing. And I'm like, yeah, but. I could also be dying. And then we start the tour and the and the tour guide is like, a lot of people suffer from elevation sickness here. So if you're feeling that, just, you know, breathe in, breathe out. You'll be all right. And I look at Jason and I'm like, oh, dude, I think it's the elevation. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I've been yeah. telling you that the past hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it is a really cool property and they have a lot to do. Like, even if you don't do a tour, you can just walk around. Or if you're waiting on your tour like we were, they have a whole maze. I guess it's yes. from something within The Shining. Uh-huh. And that was a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that, you know, because once again, I haven't seen the movie. But yeah, once they, I'm telling you, Stephen King, like, set up the Stanley Hotel for oh, he did. He did. Eter- eternity. Because it would be really sad had, had you know. Had he not been placed there that night, the Stanley Hotel probably would have been closed for good. And it would have been a shame to see such a beautiful property just close like that. Because it is so beautiful. It is. It's huge. I mean, you talk about hotels. I can't think of any other hotel that resembles the Stanley Hotel. And I know it because it's, you know, air quote, old fashioned, but it's just beautiful. Like I said, it would just have been like really sad for some for a building like that just to close its doors when it has so much to offer. So I'm just glad that it got a huge resurgence of popularity. And I don't blame them for banking on it. I mean, even their gift shop is like all the shining references. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I do, you know, if we ever make our way back to the Stanley Hotel, I would like to go on their dark tour. Mm-hmm. or their night tour I don't know the proper name of it but because like I said the employees that I mentioned and you know Mr. Stanley they like to you know they don't really mess with people too much other than Miss Wilson uh, <laughs> she's she's her own but there are some reports of some darker spirits there and I couldn't really find a connection to the hotel and these spirits um because, you know, I, like I said, I believe people in their stories, but you, ha- you do have to take these stories with a grain of salt um, just because there's not a whole lot of proof behind it. But yeah. 
I do believe that, like I said earlier, the the quartz and the limestone do at- attract these spirits to it because room 217 might be the most famous room that they have, but it's said to believe that the fourth floor is where the most paranormal activity goes on. And that's where more of the like dark stuff goes on. Um, you would want to like encounter that? Uh, no, not oh, at all. I thought, that's, <laughs> I thought that's why you're saying you want to go on the other tour. I mean, I'd like to go just to experience it, but I wouldn't want to stay there at all. Like people, yeah. another room that a lot of people like to stay in is room 401. Where it's said to be haunted by that Lord Don Raven guy oh. that we were talking about. Um, and women who've stayed in the room have reported being uh, touched in their, like, they remember feeling hair hands through their hair Ew. and even like a hand going up the back of their leg Ew. so that's really gross and creepy yeah um, i don't want none of that i don't, I don't right wanna, and I that's my where, fun like daytime tour i don't want to yeah. go back <laughs> and that's where they uh report seeing like children running up and down the hallways oh, laughing yeah. and running and i ain't about that no okay. no no and another famous room is room 428 that's where um, this cowboy spirit lives. Like I said, mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't really find a connection there. But he's pretty famous for um, trying to kiss you. Ew. Like he, yeah, it's very, very creepy. It said <laughs> that this couple woke up and they saw this cowboy figure at the foot of their bed pacing the room, and it said that they just politely asked the cowboy to leave, and he did, but not without Ew. trying to lean over and kiss the the woman. That's so creepy. Yeah, I, know. I I am good on staying there or doing anything too crazy. We had our fun and, and, mm-hmm. and we're good. <laughs> yeah, I would go back just to like walk around the property and everything again, though, because it was just a really fun area. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess if you want to do a nighttime tour, I'll have to do it. But <laughs> we are not we're not staying there. We're not staying there, though, no. But Uh I would like to go on the night tour because that would just be a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We had to take the guys. I know. I was going to say the guys got to go that time because, no. But at least now I'll know that it is elevation sickness and (laughs) not that I'm going to die because I'm encountering ghosties from the Stanley Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) But we hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, This was a fun one because we got to talk a little bit about like a historical place and give all the details but also interloop like our personal experiences to the best of our ability because we've been there and we can describe things too so Mm -hmm. I hope I hope you guys are liking this I'm having a lot of fun recording this kind of stuff so me too I kind of want to continue it for a few weeks see what people think and go from there yes I agree Alrighty. well if you go to the Stanley Hotel beware you may encounter some ghosties you may encounter mr freeland stanley himself um hopefully your what was it the hose hopefully your hose doesn't try to constrict your child in your dreams right and just be safe yeah <laughs> stay safe out there stay, stay woke. safe out there <laughs> all righty well without further ado peace peace